0: Welcome and thanks for listening to another show of the Health Zone. I'm Mihala Mahuna. Check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash the Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Health Zone or log on to our website on www.thehealthzoneshow.com. If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the Health Zone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called how to transform your health in 2016 also if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us our email is tune in at thehealthzoneshow.com today i'm talking with former world champion athlete university coach martial arts instructor college professor and author of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Dan Millman. Hello, Dan.
1: Hello, Michal. Very good to be here with you today.
0: So tell me, Dan, what started you on this journey of wanting something more in your life? Looking
1: back, it seems like a natural progression. When I was a boy, it started out with a love of climbing trees and swinging on ropes, and that translated into uh, jumping on a trampoline. I never guessed that would lead me to a college scholarship, a college career, and then coaching at Stanford University in California. But one thing led to the next. And during that time as an athlete, I learned a great deal about life and myself. Um, But I also was fascinated with the idea of, could we create more talent for sport? And when I began to coach young athletes, um, I experimented in the first year at the university, instead of working on the skills of gymnastics all the somersaults and so on we worked on the foundation elements of talent which i would define as that which allows the athlete to learn faster learn easier and rise to higher levels it seemed to me that talent could be largely developed so we worked on strength and flexibility and coordination rhythm timing balance reflex speed and for a full year And they were impatient. They said, we're not learning anything. I said, just wait. And in two and a half, actually three and a half years, the team went from the very bottom of their conference to one of the top three teams in the United States. And I trained the top U.S. Olympian as well. So my theories about talent did work in practice. But at the same time, I was going through some changes in my own life. And I, I realized being able to do somersaults and handstands didn't help me much when I went out on a date. (laughs) Or when I got married, when I had children, when I dealt with career decisions and financial challenges. So that's when I started asking bigger questions about life. What skill sets can we learn that create more talent, not just for sport, but talent for living, for the challenges we meet every day in life? And eventually, a 10-year intensive search, working with various mentors and resources, I ended up with an approach to living that I call the way of the peaceful warrior, which is really about all of us. But that brings us from the time I started out to I think the present day, about 30 years later.
0: I know you spent much of your life until the age of 38 doing various jobs. Can you tell me what was the turning point that changed you around that period of time?
1: Well, there's a saying we have to find out what we don't really want to do before we find out what we actually want to do. Um, it's easy for a young person, as I was back then, to mistake what I thought I should do or what I thought other people wanted me to do with what I really enjoyed, what I found suitable, that something that matched my talents, my interests, and my values. And so that's why many people refer to the 20s when we're in our 20s as the trying 20s because we try this, then we try that, then we try that. It's a natural decade. Of experimentation some people go to college they major in a particular subject and they go all the way through graduate school professional school but that doesn't mean they found the exact right thing because as Joseph Campbell once wrote some people climb to the top of their career ladder only to find out it's leaning against the wrong wall and so that's why I emphasize in that second purpose in the four purposes of life my new book um, I emphasize the importance before we can choose a career properly or find our calling, which is different from our career, usually. Before we can do that, we have to know ourselves because often we know our self-image. We're just testing ourselves when young against the world to find out really who we are. And if we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do, we end up making the right choice for the wrong person, the one we thought we were which is why some young people choose a relationship that doesn't necessarily turn out well. Sometimes it does, of course. Young people can get married and they can live you know, decades together happily, but often they don't know themselves well enough, um, and they change, or they don't really change. They just find out who they were. Um, and it can help with career decisions and everything else, self-knowledge. That's why I place such an emphasis on it. And the third uh, purpose that I describe in the book Finding our hidden calling, our life path, really helps with that whole idea of finding out who we are and what we really like.
0: Oftentimes, when people are going through that period of transition, they can experience a lot of challenging emotions. What was your most challenging emotion around that period of time in your own life when you were going through transition? Well, I, I remember times where I felt a bit depressed,
1: a bit lost. Um, the topic of conversation between my wife and I back then when we were first married was, what am I going to do? People used to tease me. What's Dan going, going to do this week? Um, because I went through college, a psychology major, but I, I didn't want to continue in experimental psychology at back then. They didn't have psychology branches that really interested me um, very much. So I just, searched around. I fell into a coaching job at 22 years old. I was really very lucky one of those synchronicities and I coached for four years. And then I was asked, invited to come and be a college professor in, in Ohio in the United States. And I took that up and that led to many other things. But after that, when I decided to go back to California and leave the co- the cloistered college career, the bottom fell out. It was just nothing. I realized I didn't have any advanced degrees. Uh, But I was good at typing, so I became a typist. And meanwhile, I was working over time a little bit on writing, but I didn't have anything clear at that point. I really was feeling compelled to write. So it was a long process of trying this and trying that. And finally, um, you know, facing self-doubt. You asked about emotions. So self-doubt was another one. You know, what can I do? Am I enough for this? Uh, What will happen with the rest of my life? And whenever I thought too far ahead, Um, it it really didn't help anything. But I learned a lot about myself and my emotions and how to transcend them, not make them go away, not tricks to try to change them, but just to understand what I was feeling in the moment, to accept my emotions and my thoughts as natural to me in the moment, but focus on what I was going to do next. Because if we look at our lives, our lives have been shaped mostly by what we've done moment to moment. And so that's what I learned about emotions. Whatever they are, positive or negative, I accepted them. Uh, they would pass, and they always did, um, soon enough. But I focused on what do I need to do right now, rather than get too wrapped up in what I happened to be feeling that moment.
0: And I know you mentioned that you actually contemplated and taken your own life as well. Can you tell me a little bit about this?
1: Well, that was my dark night of the soul. Um, yes, in Way of the Peaceful Warrior, my first book, I described a time where I just didn't see, there there didn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Especially some younger people, if they feel depressed, they think they're always going to feel that way. And life's always going to be the same. But at least I kept a thread of a possibility. Um, And so even though there was a point at which, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I was really on the edge of suicide, but I was feeling depressed. And You know, I can, so I can empathize with others who feel that way. But the point was even feeling that way, I just went back to school. I went to the gym, I trained, and I got through it. Uh, Often people who may feel like they want to take their life, uh, either something acute, uh, a, a lover left them, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband or wife, or a financial bankruptcy, whatever it is that in that moment makes life seem like it's falling apart. We lose perspective. We forget all the successful people who went bankrupt a number of times and lost their loved one and felt that acute pain. The difference is they kept going. And many people, we know this for a fact today, that many people who have the impulse to suicide, if it's blocked, if they don't do it at that moment, it doesn't mean they're just going to go the next day and do it. Often it passes and it can save a life. So Uh, That's important to contemplate and it gives me empathy and other people who feel depressed. I understand what that can be like, Um, even deep depression. But what we can do is what do I need to do now? And, you know, I tell people, if you feel suicidal, do it tomorrow. And when you wake up the next day, definitely do it tomorrow and do it tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. You can always take your life tomorrow. You can always do something crazy tomorrow tomorrow. But not today, not now. Today, do something to make it a good day, even if it means going for a run or doing some stretching and exercise or saying a kind word to someone. Make today something good. You can always do
0: something tomorrow. I heard before, Dan, that it's impossible to contemplate suicide if you're fully in the present moment. Do you think this is true?
1: That's a very interesting question. I've never been asked that particular question again
0: Um, or before, excuse
1: me. Well, let me uh, cite a quote by Mark Twain. The writer Mark Twain once said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. Most of the troubles we have are about the past and future. We regret something we said or did. We're remembering, oh, that happened and that happened. Or we're projecting into the future with our imagination well, tomorrow it's going to be horrible, I can't face it, the creditors are coming, the bank is coming to audit my business, and, but that's not happening. It's a projection of imagination into the future. We can usually handle the present moment, it's right in front of us. And that's why the fourth purpose in the four purposes of life is maybe the most important one of all. It's attending to our purpose in this present moment. We can always handle this moment. In fact, I'll tell you a story. A woman once came to me. She was suffering emotionally very badly. And she said, I can't stand it another minute. And I said, really? God, that must be terrible. And I said, hold on a moment. Lou. And I looked at my watch. And I just do, 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 And I watched my watch hand go by. I waited for a minute. And I said, hey, look, you're still here. You've stood it for another minute. And you'll be able to stand it for another hour or day or week. Keep it up. What do you need to do now? Once we take some constructive action in our life, we're more likely to feel a small measure of fulfillment. I set out to do something, whether it was exercise, go for a walk, clean the dishes, clean the house, whatever it is, I did it. And that's a mission accomplished. See, I would define success as moving toward a meaningful goal. That's it. Moving, making progress toward a meaningful goal. It can be a short-term goal, like getting the house clean, doing our assignment, our work assignment, or our homework. Just working toward a meaningful goal, or it can be a big goal. But as we move toward that, it's not about arriving. It's not necessarily about achieving that goal. Once we achieve it, it's like, well, what do I do now? We have to find another goal. Um, There's a scene in the peaceful warrior movie With Nick Nolte, you know, based on my first book, in which the character Dan and Socrates, Nick Nolte's character, um, they walk to the top of a high hill. And Dan has a realization at the top of the hill. He said, I realize it's the destination. I mean, he said, it's not the destination that makes us happy. It's the journey. Now, that has a certain amount of wisdom. It's a good reminder uh, because we're mostly on the journey. The destination comes just now and then. But without a destination in mind, we have no journey. We just wander around. If we are at point A, we need a point B, something to move toward, hopefully something constructive rather than destructive, something we'd like to accomplish, large or small. And when we pick that point B, we now have a direction in life, short-term or longer-term. See, I recommend to people it's wonderful to dream big. Absolutely. Don't stop yourself from dreaming big, but start small. That's what helps us get our foot in the door. Little things can make a big difference over time. Instead of I'm going to exercise for an hour and a half every day and going to the gym or the pool, instead of that, do two minutes of something. You know, I created a workout. It's at my my homepage on my website, peacefulwarrior.com. People can go there and they can see an online course, the Peaceful Warrior Workout. That workout is designed to be completed in less than four minutes a day. And I can tell you honestly, I have done that workout every single day for the last probably 30 years. I turn 70 next month. And I can still do handstand push-ups, flips, somersaults in the trampoline, and so on. But it's because of what I've done a little bit every day. Now, yes, I do more than four minutes. I do things that look like physical therapy at my age. Um, but still, start small because, and then connect the dots step by step. To me, this is more practical and realistic than these great intentions
0: Relationships are a big factor in helping us to create what we want in our our lives as well. What would you regard as being the biggest challenges that you've had in your own relationships and how did you overcome them?
1: Well, uh, as you may know from if you've read my book or books, um, um, Michal, that I was married for eight years when I was very young and really didn't know myself. And that marriage lasted for eight years. It probably shouldn't have lasted eight days, but it did. I was persistent, but it just wasn't a match, a good fit. And after eight years, we had one daughter, Um, we split up. And then uh, after that, I married the love of my life, Joy. We've been married over 40 years. Now, what have I learned from the first marriage where I quote unquote failed, and the one that's quote unquote successful, Marriage and and having an intimate relationship is a form of what I call voluntary adversity. I say that tongue-in-cheek with a little smile on my face. But the fact is, if someone wants their life to be easy, that's not difficult to do. You want your life easier, just um, don't ever have any intimate relationships, don't have children, don't get married, don't, don't take on any big responsibilities in life at all. And life will be easier, but the question becomes, is that what we're here for? Are we here to get through planet Earth as easy as possible? Granted, there are more efficient ways to do things, but some, we can appreciate intuitively, every one of us, that when we've had a challenge in our life, looking back on that, and we faced the challenge, gotten through it, maybe a relationship crisis, something at work with our physical body, an injury or illness, when we've gotten through that, we look back and we say, you know, I'm a little wiser now. I'm a little stronger now for having gone through that. We don't have to look for adversity. Daily life is a form of spiritual weight training. We need that because if you don't lift any weights, you don't get stronger. So relationships, I call it a form of voluntary adversity, just like sport is a form of voluntary adversity. Learning to play a musical instrument is a form of voluntary adversity. We don't have to do it. Life is easier if we don't do it. But having done it, we've grown. We've learned through that, which brings us really back to the first purpose in the four purposes of life, which is learning life's lessons. So when I say voluntary adversity, it's voluntary. But it is a challenge. My wife and I get along wonderfully. She's my guardian angel, but we bump heads now and then. You know, this is, that's, everybody who's married knows that. You know that, that old saying, it's kind of a joke, but if a man says something in a forest and there's, there's uh, no woman there to hear it, is he still wrong? <laughs> so that's just a little joke. But um, the fact is, um, uh, relationship is challenging. Having children is a challenge, voluntary adversity. Forming a business is a challenge, voluntary adversity. But all those adversities are a path to growth, to evolution, to learn more about ourselves and find out what we're made of. Find out why I call everyone a peaceful warrior in training.
0: Then, what do you mean by a peaceful heart and a warrior heart?
1: Well, when people ask me, what do I mean by peaceful warrior? How can you be peaceful and a warrior at the same time? Um, We think of them as opposites. But actually, that's not really the case. Um, there There are warriors, true warriors, who put themselves in harm's way from the ancient times um uh, to modern day soldiers police officers um the coast guard uh secret you know uh, the secret service bodyguards and so on they are true warriors they're strong they're grounded we have to admire that but not all of those people have a peaceful heart there are also peacemakers people who are kind loving, nourishing, supportive, but not all of those sometimes they can be very sweet and kind of passive Not all of those have a warrior spirit, but when we look at someone I'm sure you have many examples from your own culture in the United States I think of Martin Luther King jr. Or from India Mahatma Gandhi These are people are examples of peaceful warriors. In fact Gandhi called himself a soldier of peace so We're all seeking to live with a peaceful heart, but there are times each one of us can think back on our lives, even to the present moment, and and know there are times we need a warrior spirit to stand up inside of ourselves, to face those inner adversaries like doubt, fear, insecurity. So that's what I mean by the term peaceful warrior. Peaceful heart, warrior spirit.
0: Do you think you've achieved this in your own life?
1: Well, there's a saying that ha- having it all together is like trying to eat once and for all. It doesn't work like that. Life is a series of moments. So let's just say I have more moments that I live as a peaceful warrior than I used to. We're all practicing. People sometimes ask me, Michal, that, Dan, um, do you, have you mastered all that you teach? And the answer is clearly no. Each of us is perfect but not yet perfected. If we've completed completed our journey, well, we're not not on earth anymore. While we're here, we're all learning. But I am practicing sincerely. And I think I'm a good example of what I teach. Not a perfect one, but a good one. And I continue to learn.
0: How do you practice?
1: Well, my practice is daily life. And that's the primary point of the four purposes of life. Um, The first purpose, learning life's lessons. Emphasizes that daily life is, see, the earth is like a divine school for souls, and daily life is our classroom. Every day we have the opportunity to learn. In fact, we cannot fail, it's impossible to fail at anything if we learn a lesson from it. Learning is not just the icing on the cake, it's the cake itself. We are here to learn. Now, we know this. People go, oh, yeah, of course, Dan. We're here to learn from our life experience. But it's more than that. I'm, I'm reminding everyone that lessons tend to repeat themselves until we learn them in this school. And if we don't learn easy lessons, they get more dramatic. First, life throws a ping pong ball at us, then a bowling ball. So it's wise to listen to these lessons and not, not have to wait for the bowling ball. Um, and in fact, in the first uh, section in the Four Purposes of Life, I, I actually relate 12 courses in which every one of us is enrolled. We just don't know it. You know what? Let me share something that your, your listeners might find rather interesting. I did, anyway. Um, I had a recurring dream over the years. Uh, maybe I dream, dream it once or twice a year or three times, but I never forgot it because I know I dreamt it before. And it was this. I had some kind of an important examination. Could be high school, could be university, but it was a big exam, and I couldn't find my way there. I was so disoriented in the dream. I just couldn't find my way to the classroom, but there's a more common version of this dream, which is this. I realized, oh my God, today I have a final exam, but I forgot to go to the classes. I forgot to actually go to the classroom and take the course. Now I've got the final exam. Some of your listeners are going, yeah, I recognize that. I've had that dream. When I ask audiences, quite a few hands go up. And why do we have that dream? Why do some of us remember that dream? Because it reflects our actual reality. We are all enrolled in 12 courses, but we don't even know what they are. We forgot to sign up for them. And these 12 courses are the courses we're all here to pass in order to graduate from this particular school. And I will mention, just give a sample of the kind of courses we're enrolled in. It's not relationships, it's not money, it's not career. Those things are where we learn the deeper lessons. These courses are first discovering our worth. Different from self-esteem, self-worth answers the question, how much do you deserve of life's goodness? Because that's how much we're going to get. Ramakrishna, the Indian saint, said if we're an ocean of bliss and abundance can rain down from the heavens, but if we're only holding up a thimble, that's all we're going to catch. So self worth helps us get out of our own way and stop sabotaging ourselves. And it's not entitlement, it's not saying I'm the greatest, I'm worth so much. It's just recognizing our innate human worth and respecting ourselves the way we might respect someone else who's also stumbling toward the light. And this, now I won't go into as much depth, but the second of these courses is reclaiming our will, turning what we know into what we actually do. The third is energizing our body, which of course is a foundation element. The the fourth, that was the third, the fourth is managing our money. It's a basic life skill. The fifth is taming our mind, and then it goes on, trusting our intuition, accepting our emotions, facing our fears, and so on. So there's more to that section, the first purpose on learning life's lessons than first meets the eye. It's not just about learning from our life experience.
0: They say, Dan, that it takes approximately about 10 years to become an overnight success. Do you think that's the case in your own situation?
1: It certainly is, and I described why earlier on, that it's a necessary time of experimentation. Um, To really hit stride and know ourselves well enough um, and prepare ourselves and build a foundation for what's coming next. I had no idea when I was very young that I might write books. Even when I wrote my first book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, I thought, gee, maybe a few college students might like this story I, I put together based on some experiences from my life. I had no idea people would start telling other people about it, which is magical. And they still are. 30 years later um, so yes it took me at least 12 years it was I was 34 years old I think when my first book was published and I was wandering around more or less until that time in fact after I wrote my first book Michal um, I didn't write another book for 10 years I, I felt I'd said what I had to say so there was no point in writing another book but then I met new mentors new life experiences and exciting new lessons I wanted to share. And since 10 years later, I started writing almost a book a year. I've never written a book just to put another book out. It has to justify itself as another facet of what I have to teach. So the, um, the four purposes of life, my newest the paperback is my, I think my 15th book. And really, it, it goes well with the first book because it puts all what I teach in context in It's proper. It puts all the pieces of the puzzle together.
0: Dan, you mentioned about mentors that you met. In what way did they influence your life?
1: The, yeah, my life and work. Um, well, you know, as much as we like the idea of the self-made man and the self-made woman, nobody accomplishes um, much on their own. They may think they do. They may say, no one helped me, but hey, who designed the computer they work with or who made the pencils they write with or who allows them to get to work with an automobile? Somebody invented that. So we're constantly supported by the efforts of others in our lives. Every teacher, every so-called teacher or or author has a lineage. We've learned something. We didn't just uh, go into a divine trance and it all poured into us. We've had mentors, teachers, people who've inspired us, informed us, that we express in our own way. And I can tell you this. um, I have two more books in me. I'm working on a new book now called The Hidden School. It's the third and final book in the Peaceful Warrior trilogy, probably in some ways my most ambitious work. And then I'm going to write my final book. And you might say, well, Dan, how do you know? Because I think it's my final book. One day I retired from competing in gymnastics in the same way. I'll retire. And that book will be a memoir. And it will be about my search for spirit, for happiness. Um, And it will describe the very different mentors, the four major mentors I've had in my life. Um, They're significant because they're so different from one another. And they uh, reflect different facets of the spiritual journey. The Journey for Happiness. So I'm not writing it just to share about me. Why would people want to read that? I don't know. But uh, I'm writing it to help give some cautions and some guidance along that path, maybe to save people some pain and some time along that spiritual journey. So um, rather than go into now uh, what mentors have helped me, I, I could name names, but they wouldn't mean much to most people probably. I just like to acknowledge that i have had mentors and i will be sharing that uh down the line
0: what was your relationship like with socrates then then
1: well i actually did many people wonder if he's real if they've seen the movie or even read the book which has a lot more than the film of course books usually do um and they wonder if socrates was real if he was a novelistic character if i made him up So I can make say very clearly, anybody can go to my website, again, peacefulwarrior.com, and look under the Q&A. There's a little video with me describing who is Socrates, and um, I answer various questions about how much is true. The book itself was a mixture of fact, you know, autobiography, things that actually happened that I did, and some fictional elements woven into the story. So it's not actually a memoir. Memoir should not contain any fiction. Um, So I never called it a memoir. I call it an autobiographical novel, a blend of of fact and fiction. Now, Socrates, as it happens, was actually based on a flesh and blood old guy, a cosmic old man um, who claimed to be 96 years old when I met him in 1966 when I was a college student, a long time ago. But um, other characters, other teachers influenced what I wrote because I wrote the book 14 years after meeting him and so i've had i had other influences at that time so even though he was based on a real cosmic old guy um i he he was allowed me to express what i wanted to share at that time for my readers
0: what do you think was the greatest thing you learned from him at that time
1: wow um well most people who read the book or have seen the film they think the biggest takeaway let's say is the idea of living in the present moment focusing on reality who are we who are you right now? Where are you here? And now I'll tell you a quick story about it related to your question. A young man came up to me once, this is maybe 10 years ago. And he said, Dan, um, I know you do consultations with people, you know, you offer advice and so on. And, um, I know you charge good money to do that. And I'm a poor college student. I only have a dollar. What can you tell me for a dollar? And I smiled at him and I said, okay, um, well, I can tell you six words. And if you practice these six words over time, it can change your life. And those six words are very simple. Here and now, breathe and relax. And that's something that that old man, Socrates, role model for me. He was an example of it. He didn't just talk about it. Um, he seemed to have a non-seriousness about him, a relaxed way of moving like a cat. And he just didn't take life that seriously. And he was always like, right, his presence, a very strong presence. If they read the book, they go, yeah, see him again, because you wondered why he apparently jumped up on the rooftop. Well, I, I can tell you, I don't hesitate to say that's a bit of a fiction uh, to a, a literary device to explain why I would come back again and again to that gas station. But I'll tell you why I really went back to see him. And it involves a story about um, a wanderer in the forest in India many centuries ago. And the wanderer happened to come upon the Buddha walking through the woods. And the wanderer was fascinated by this serene personage. So he began to walk along with the Buddha. And finally he got the nerve to say, excuse me, but are, are you... Um, a wizard? And the Buddha said, no, no. And he said, well, are you some great warrior or, or king? And the Buddha said, no, I'm not. And he said, but what is it about you that makes you different somehow from anyone I've ever met? And the Buddha smiled at him and said, oh, he said, I'm awake. I'm awake. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, there is something about that old man. That's why I went back to see him. There was something about him. I couldn't name, but it frustrated me. Here I was this self-important self-absorbed young college athlete. I was, I'd won a world championship on the trampoline. I was a gymnast. I had a girlfriend. I was on top of the world in some ways, but something wasn't right with my life and he had something I didn't and I couldn't even give it a name. But I wanted to hang around to find out what that was. And I've tried to, um, over, over the last 30 or 40 years, I've tried to cultivate that, uh, that sense, little by little, gaining more and more perspective about life, more and more humor, or non-seriousness, let's say. I've learned that life is a game we play as if it matters.
0: What do you think stops people from waking up?
1: I would say we humans are, uh, and I say this with great compassion, we're a little bit, we tend to resist wake-up calls because we're like adolescents who someone awakes them in the morning to go to school and they want to pull the covers over their head and sleep just a little while longer. They'd rather have consoling magical dreams uh, and wishes and hopes rather than face the cold, clear light of reality face themselves, embrace themselves with compassion for all their foibles. And I think that is, and there are a couple of other things I'm actually going to go into head on um, in the new book that's coming out maybe early next year called The Hidden School. It has to do with issues like free will, um, a separate self, or the inner self, whether either one of those actually exists. Um, it, it's going to deal with identification and how that can get us into a lot of trouble when we have, a, let's say, mistaken identity. And competitive mind. I have nothing against competitive sports. It's good fun. But competitive mind is something else. So these are some of the hurdles that can, can hold us back. Fear, insecurity. We'd rather stay where we are, where we're comfortable with, than take the risk. To uh, open up, be vulnerable, fail a little bit, be fools for love, and open up to life. Uh, I think I've always been willing to make a fool of myself. I think that's one reason I've been able to learn.
0: Uh, Do you think the ego plays a part in all of this?
1: Ah, You ask some very good questions. I appreciate that. Um, Welcome. The term the ego gets a, a bad rap in spiritual circles. But let's consider, no, nobody in, in Europe or the United States ever heard the term ego until Freud popularized it. He took it from the Greek. And all it means in German is ich, ich which is I. It's a sense of identity. It's a handy organizing principle for experience. When we're born as young children, infants, you know, I, we just had a new grandson born, uh, literally, uh, the night before last. And he's a tiny little thing, and he doesn't know what he, who he is or what he is. He doesn't know what anything is. He's just gazing at the mystery. And when we're born, we don't have ego. We don't have a sense of self. Everything is this big, dreamy soup. And over time, though, people start calling us by a name again and again. They point to us, and we start exploring our skin, our boundaries, our toes, our fingers. Pretty soon, because most of our senses come in through um, the head, eyes, ears, taste, smell, we begin to think we live somewhere up in our heads. Maybe some people are more centered around our hearts or our hara, our belly, vital energy, but we we begin to believe there's this inner self, that we are somebody like a an uh, operator of a big crane, we're sitting in there operating the controls, well, it sure seems like it, um, and I won't go into any more depth about that now, but this whole thing as the ego is referring to the conscious self, who we think we are, our sense of identity, that's fine. But we also have a basic self, or our subconscious mind, our neurology, which actually makes decisions before our conscious mind is even aware of them. And we also have what's called the higher self uh, that connects us. It's like a bridge to spirit. So, again, these are all models of reality. That's all I'm saying now. I'm not trying to tell you what truth is with a capital T. But The ego, you know, if someone says... Oh, Michal, you have a huge ego that's not normally considered a compliment, but actually ego strength is important. We have to know who we are. We have to have a self before we can transcend it. So, you know, in the old days, when someone misbehaved, they said, the devil made me do it. But today we go, oh, the ego made me do it. And we blame this thing called an ego for everything. Um, But actually again, it's it's neutral. Freud never meant it in a negative way. He just meant it neutral. Yeah, it's what we refer to as I So I can't blame my ego for anything. I I use my ego. I use my identity to teach to learn and to serve I just don't take it that seriously.
0: And do you think the ego stops us from trusting our intuition? The ego doesn't stop us from doing anything Uh, That's what the popular knowledge.
1: Oh, yes, it's the ego's fault. That's the point I was making um, but I will say this: I think you're on the right track in what you're saying, because um, the ego is more our conscious mind. Call it our left brain, if you will, the left hemisphere of the brain. It's the rational, logical part of us. And you know, our logic has never been a very good tool for making decisions, because all logic can do is weigh pros and cons, benefits and liabilities, ups and downs, ins and outs. And pretty soon our mind starts chasing its own tail like a dog. Uh, paralysis by analysis, as people say. So it's, you know, some people have made a logical decision, what seemed like the reasonable thing to do, but they wake up the next morning and they go, you know, I have a funny feeling or a bad feeling about that. I would listen to that feeling. So it's not a matter of saying intuition is better than logic. They're both important. They're like the two sides of the brain. We want to be able to use our entire brain. So in addition to making logical decisions based on reason, we also want to check it out against our inner knower and see how we feel about that. Um, in, In the four purposes of life, as you may know, I have an exercise in there called time travel. It's using the imagination to travel through time to get more perspective on making decisions. I have that in the second purpose under finding our career and calling and it's I think a useful exercise uh, which is probably more appropriate for a seminar to present uh, or in the through the book where I can explain it very carefully and take people through it but I just wanted to refer to it that it's a way to draw upon our intuition rather than just relying on logic to make a more informed decisions
0: then do you think when we take responsibility for what we say and do, that we can reach a new stage of evolution?
1: Well, I I think it's quite important. You see, people who have what we might call victim consciousness, and yes, granted, some people really have been victimized. Someone beat them up or bullied them, uh, abused them in some way, uh, took advantage of them, took their money and so on. So, yeah, some people do suffer abuse, but... Those of us who sort of identify with being the victim, then we can resent somebody, we can feel very self-righteous. I was the good person, they were the bad person, they took advantage of me. We don't tend to take responsibility. We say it was their fault, they did it to me. We become passive um, at the affect of life. Life did this to us, this happened, everything happens to us. You know that saying, there are three kinds of people, those who make things happen, those who watch what happens, and those who wonder what happened. And uh, that's more tongue in cheek. It's meant to be a bit humorous. But the fact is, if we feel like a victim, then we don't take responsibility for our choices and how the role we played in where we are. Um, There's a saying, swindle me once, it's your fault. Swindle me twice, it's my responsibility. So, but when we hit that point of taking responsibility for our life, if friends don't seem to get in touch with us or don't call us up, if people don't seem to be nice to us, um, if uh, a spouse or a friend takes advantage of us, we we begin to see how we train them to do that. We allow them to do that. So one little talk I give to people, very brief, it's, but it helps it stick in their memory, is life is like a movie. And... In the movie of our life, we can learn to be, we don't have to be the passive victim. We don't have to be an extra, a bit player. We can be the director and the star in the movie of our life. Someone can be the director and the star in the movie of their life. We can become, if we don't like the script, we can become the screenwriter and write a new script. Um, If we don't like the cast of characters around us, we can become the casting director and get a new cast of characters we can begin to take hold of our life and, as you say, take responsibility for it.
0: And then, how much do you think the story in our head has a part to play in in creating this movie?
1: Well, there are two versions of the word story. One is just in the classic sense, the the wonderful novels that people write uh, and the stories we can create. I often remind people that um, each of our lives is a novel being written. Our lives are stories. Our story, my story is my treasure. Your story is your treasure. And every listener, their story is their treasure because there's not a single story on the planet exactly like it. Uh, And and we never know what the next chapter is going to be. So in that sense, our story is our treasure. But in another sense, a story refers to our version of reality. We tell ourselves stories. For example, um, I'm walking down the street and there's some, an acquaintance of mine. And I so they walk by me and I go, hi, Hey, how are you doing? And they don't even answer me. They don't even look at me. They just walk past me. And I go, Oh my gosh, so many meanings I make up stories about that. Are they angry at me? Did I say something about them that someone told them? And now they won't even talk to me. Um, are, are they, is it about me? am i just, You know, I have no presence. They don't care about even talking to me. Or maybe I make up a story they're a jerk, or I don't like them, or they're mean, or they're stuck up. I'm making up all these stories, and it might be they just have a little, they were distracted, or they didn't hear me. So we make up stories about life and how it unfolds, and we need to suspect these stories. They may or may not be correct. Um, There's a saying that ignorance is bliss. And it means we're not making up all these meanings about everything. This means that. That means that. We accept life spontaneously as a form of mysterious arising, a moment to moment. And we loosen up that way. We become more improvisational, like actors. And we don't. We're not too quick to make up stories about what we think this and that meant.
0: How could your philosophy apply to someone say who's homeless, unemployed, or say even somebody who's a prisoner in jail?
1: Well, we do have challenges in our lives, internally and externally. Um, We have internal challenges I've mentioned before, like self-doubt, insecurity, all the meanings and complications we put on things, which is why one writer said the lesson is simple, the student is complicated. We also have very real external challenges. As you say, someone might be imprisoned, which is not a great situation for them physically or emotionally, um, we have people who are in abusive relationships or difficult relationships, male or female. Um, we have times where we have very little money and and it's difficult. We have to think about how we get our food and shelter. So all kinds of challenges can arise inside and out. But, you know, if we do have the inside together, if we have a sense of perspective, um, it helps us to face whatever we're dealing with outside and there're occasions someone comes to me and says dan um i have an emotional problem i have a spiritual problem i'm suffering i ask them three questions and these questions may sound odd or out of context but the first question i ask them is are you doing regular moderate exercise you know, are you walking regularly? Are you getting out and getting some fresh air? Are you moving your body? Are you doing a little bit of strength exercises? Because the body's meant to move and to breathe deeply and to challenge itself a little bit each day, just moderate. The second question I ask is, are you eating a balanced diet? Notice I didn't say, are you eating a vegetarian, vegan, all raw, in-season, locally grown, gluten-free, and so on and so forth diet. I just said, are you eating a balanced diet for you? And the third question, are you getting enough rest? We don't have to get neurotic and worry about getting enough sleep. If we're not sleepy during the day, we're getting enough sleep. People need different amounts of sleep. But if we are sleepy during the day, really falling, nodding out, we may need to take a nap. A power nap can be very good, even a short one. But if we're getting enough rest, we're eating a fairly balanced diet for us, and we're getting some regular moderate exercise, often these so-called spiritual and emotional problems go away. And even if the problems remain, for example, as you said, we're incarcerated. Uh, We don't have a job. We're undereducated, so it's difficult to get work that makes a a good living. By doing some exercise, even if incarcerated, by eating as good diet as we can, making choices, and by getting enough rest, it helps us to face those real problems in everyday life. So I don't have some panacea. Live in the present moment and your problems will go away. I wish I could say that, but it does help deal with them. So whatever the problem is, an injury, An accident, some physical malady, a relationship challenge. Again, dream big. We focus so much on what we don't want. Begin to focus on what you want. Start small, make small steps in that direction, and then connect the dots over time. Because everything I've accomplished, I don't know if it's true for you, Michal, or your listeners, but everything I've accomplished has been effort over time. It's not magical, it's not some spiritual secret, but it's practical and real
0: your new book then, then, for purposes. What's the difference between this book and the other books?
1: Well, it incorporates elements because it, it gives a, an overview. Um, you know, I used to think happiness, it was all about happiness. Whatever we thought we wanted, uh, we really wanted to be happy. So this, a new house, a new relationship represents, we'll be happier. But I found over, over time, I realized that what we really want, each of us, is a sense of meaning, that our lives count for something a sense of um, purpose, moving towards something that is meaningful to us, and a sense of connection, connecting with ourselves, with other people, genuinely, and connecting with the transcendent. For some people, that's religion. For others, it's uh, another kind of spiritual uh, transcendent practice. So the four purposes of life Uh, Just as we can divide the days of the year into four seasons or the points on a compass into four directions, by looking at our lives through these four purposes, it gives us a sense of where we're going, what we're here to do, and what we're doing here. It provides a map or a light in the darkness. That's why I wrote the book. It wasn't to make money. I mean, you know, books, authors don't make that much money usually. And people think, oh, he's such a wealthy author. His books have been read by millions of people. Well, over 30 years, yes. And I've been very lucky, very fortunate. But I write my books to reach out from my heart to the hearts of my readers. And the four purposes of life is different from the life you were born to live or everyday enlightenment or no ordinary moments or my other books. Each one is a different facet of the way. But this one, as I said, puts a lot of the puzzle pieces together, and I hope will bring clarity, especially to people who are in transition. Graduating from school, retiring, going through changes in a relationship or work, um, it, it really helps to anchor them and get them back to earth, so they can live with their head in the clouds, but their feet on the ground.
0: And then oftentimes when people are going through that period of change or transition, the fear that they experience the most can be the fear of the unknown. Do you think this is true?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I do think it's true. uh, You know, but yeah, the fact remains, fear or not. You know, Kus a boxing coach, once said, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. It's fine to feel fear. I feel fear some of the time, nervousness, anxiety of some kind, but it passes. And the question still remains, fine, you're feeling afraid. What are you going to do now? How are you going to respond to it? We all feel self-doubt. But in my seminars, I show an exercise for how to overcome self-doubt. I give people a lot of self-doubt. I give them a task they do not believe they can do, and then they do it. And this every time we do that, It helps us. You know, when I turned, I'm going to turn 70 next month, but when I turned 60, 10 years ago, I decided for my 60th birthday, I wanted to learn to ride a unicycle. I don't know if you've ever tried riding a unicycle, but it's very humbling. I'll tell you. And I went out every single day trying to learn it. There was some fear. Am I going to fall? Um, there was definitely some doubt because I'd get up on it. It would zip out from under me. I'd get up on it again. It would go out from under me. It felt impossible at first. But I, after three weeks, I was riding figure eights around the court, practicing every day. There moments of frustration, but I learned that everything is difficult until it becomes easy. And I learned that sometimes we have these days where everything falls apart, a crisis in a relationship, in business, physically learning a new skill. But I also learned that usually the day after those crises, if we persist and keep at it, keep working, we often have a breakthrough. So that's how physical training has helped inform my work. Those uh, teachers and there are many teachers and authors who haven't really practiced music or an art form or athletics, they tend to get lost in abstract concepts that sound really good, but I'm not sure what to do with that. We have enough to think about already, but having been an athlete, I'm always looking for, how is this useful? It Can it be simple enough to actually make use of in our everyday life? And that's what I strive to do in The Four Purposes of Life and in my other books.
0: If a person is in a challenging place in their lives right now, what would you say is their purpose?
1: Well, again, um, it helps us when we're in a difficult place to find a purpose for it. And that's why I bring up the idea of voluntary adversity, because I guarantee if we persist through it, and roll up our sleeves and take it on, not muttering to ourselves, but just saying, Okay, I'm ready. Whether you feel like it or not, go for it. take it till you make it, as they say. Um, we look back and we realize we we got stronger because of it and wiser. So it's not saying right then, you know, read my books and life will become easy. No. But it makes gives us stronger shoulders, more resilience. And that's really the purpose of what I've written. And you know, something that your listeners can do anytime, right now, once the program is over, they can go to my website, peacefulwarrior.com. They'll see a link that says life purpose. If they click on that link, they'll see a free life purpose calculator. They put in their date of birth and click and they will get Uh, A a number, the number won't mean much to them, but it has some words with it, and it has a paragraph of material that will point to their life path, which is the third purpose. It will give a, a taste, a hint of their third purpose in life, and maybe lend some clarity to help them have a little compassion and a little more humor about their life unfolding.
0: I know, Dan, you said in your book that fulfillment lies not in the work, but in the quality and care that you bring it. What do you mean by this?
1: Well, if life is a series of moments, you know, we
0: I've never met a neurotic person. I've only met people who have more
1: neurotic moments. I've never met an intelligent person. I've only met people who have more intelligent moments. I've had some intelligent moments. I've also had some pretty stupid ones. <laughs> but our job is to increase the number of intelligent moments, the number of kind moments, And so by focusing on the quality of this moment, the only one over which we have any control, what will I do now? By doing that, uh, the quality of our moments adds up to the quality of our life. So just focus on that. We can manage the moment.
0: I know you say that our daily life is guaranteed to teach us what we need to grow and evolve and awaken us to our higher purpose. Do you think this is the case with everybody?
1: Absolutely, every single person on the planet. If they just address daily life, it's going to give them plenty of spiritual weights to lift. They'll learn about themselves through their relationships, through their children. Anybody who has relationships and children knows this is true. You learn a lot. It's not always easy, but yes, daily life is a perfect school. And that's what, you know, no one needs to read my books or any books or attend any seminars to, to evolve as a human being. We were evolving before books and seminars. But the reason I write books, the reason I teach is because good teaching, good reminders can help save us some time and help us to learn more gracefully, less painfully. And that's why I do the work I do.
0: Then when you pass from this world, what would you like people to say about you?
1: Yeah, I've actually done exercises in that area in terms of writing my epitaph, uh, um, uh, uh, that sort of thing, writing a memorial statement that I'd like a child of mine to read for me. And, you know, it it really comes down to those who knew Dan, he was a kind person. To me, that's really what it's all about. It comes down to that uh, kindness. But really, I don't have any interest in what people, you know, I, once I die, uh, I'm, I'm content to be compost. Um, it's while I live. That's the, the important part. Um, I don't need to be remembered. When I'm gone, new generations will carry the torch and are carrying it now. Young people are coming up now. and will be the teachers of tomorrow. So we just do what we have to do while we're here. We enjoy ourselves a bit and we do the best we can. That's, that's what I'm doing.
0: If you were to be reincarnated as an animal, which animal would you choose and why?
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I know it's a, a simple answer, but I love dogs and cats so much. One of the two, probably a dog. I'm more like a dog. I think I've always thought men are a bit more like dogs and women are a bit more like cats. Um, there's certain qualities, but um Obviously, I could have said something creative like a a newt or, a, you know, a, a reptile of some kind, but I don't know. Um, that's up to that's up to spirit. It's not up to me.
0: Finally, Dan, if you had the undivided attention of the world and the opportunity to say three things, what would you say?
1: You know, I couldn't even begin uh, there because I'd rather think about it. That's that's something I want to say. I'll get back to you on that. Um, it's too significant. Uh You know, they say, well, there was a a man once named Stanislaw Leck who said, I wanted to tell the world just one word. Unable to do that, I became a writer. And so I I found it necessary to write 17 books so far. They say you you teach what you need to learn. I must have needed to learn a lot. So to ask me to summarize 17 books and all the different uh, messages, I've given in three important points. I don't really know that I'm ready to do that on the spur of the moment.
0: You were in Ireland about 10 years ago as well. Would you consider coming back to Ireland again?
1: Oh, I would love to come back. You know, Ireland was the first place I've ever been where the taxi drivers invited me into the front seat to sit and have a nice chat while we were driving where we were driving. So friendly. And it's a beautiful country, too, rain or not. I, I... so yes I look forward to the opportunity to come back to Ireland to to visit again.
0: If somebody wanted to contact you or find out more about your work and your book how could they do it?
1: Well the usual means my website is probably the easiest way just peacefulwarrior.com it has a lot of nice features people might find interesting uh, online courses and so on but they can just click contact and uh, send an email through there That's, it does reach me and there's also facebook i have a, a fan page i those who sign up for my page i send out a couple of really good quotations inspiring quotations or witty ones a couple of times a week uh and then there's twitter as well so social media those two and and then my website peacefulwarrior.com
0: i really enjoyed chatting with you thanks so much for your time
1: it's been my pleasure Michal. thanks for having me on you asked an excellent question
0: thanks dan take bye bye back well thanks for listening to another show of the health Zone. tune in next week for more exciting and interesting topics and guests in the areas of spirituality relationships finance creativity health career and much much more in the meantime check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com Forward slash the Health Zone Show or follow us on Twitter on the Letter D Health Zone or log on to our website www.thehealthzoneshow.com If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the zone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is TuneIn at TheHealthZoneShow.com. Well, until next week, have a fantastic, healthy and happy week.